Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Today is part two in a series titled Exposing Satan's Sex Education. So if you have little ears in the room, I would encourage you to go listen somewhere where they're not around. Now, if you missed part one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But let me give you just a very quick recap. The first sin in the Garden of Eden reveals a second lie that I think most of us miss, Tracy. I've read Genesis many times. And of course, God says to Adam and Eve, hey, here's a garden eat anything you want, but don't eat from that one tree. Here's a marriage. Have fun with each other. Yeah, like wink, wink, make babies. Yeah, exactly. Well, then Satan comes on the scene. Hey, Eve, I got some yummy fruit right here for you. And besides all that, God is obviously withholding something from you. So Eve eats the fruit. And of course, her husband thinks, yeah, I'd like some of that too. So with that, sin enters the world and we all suffer from that today. And you're saying to yourself, David, I have heard this story before a few thousand times, but have you ever wondered why Adam and Eve eat this fruit from a tree and their response was to cover their sexual parts? Satan's attack wasn't just to deceive Eve that God was withholding all knowledge and wisdom. His attack was also to deceive them, to tell them that something was wrong with them sexually before God. How do we know that? We're going to see here in just a minute. Yeah, they went from being naked and unashamed, which is exactly how God made them, to all of a sudden self-restrained. They sowed these fig leaves because they were concerned for how they would be viewed. Well, who was there to see them? God. And how long were those leaves going to last anyway? (laughs) You ever picked a leaf and see how long it stayed green? Not very long. (laughs) So here's Satan's lie. It was aimed at forever changing the gift of sex that God had given them. I think Satan still works today to attack God's gift. I think you would agree with me. Sex in marriage is portrayed as lifeless. It's portrayed as non-existent. And sex outside of marriage on all the TVs and movies, well, gosh, not only is this not harming anyone, it's more fun that way. And then perhaps the worst part is that we in the church do very little to debunk these lies. I want you to think for just a minute when the last time you restrained yourself from kissing your husband passionately because someone else was around. Have you ever considered that the world actually needs to see the passionate truth about God's gift of marriage? No, instead we buy into the lie that this shouldn't be seen. We isolate God's example from a world that needs to know his love for them. And in this second session, we will continue to highlight the lies of Satan's sex education to make us reject a good God and his gift of sex in marriage. And then we're going to close with some things to think about for how your marriage can have a fulfilling sex life and a marriage which shows that twinkle in both of your eyes that God is good. So let me ask everybody a question. Who do you think controls the sexual health in most marriages? From years of counseling couples, we find in most cases it's the wife. And that's a little bit stereotypical, so it isn't always this way, but studies generally back this up and our experience backs it up as well. Yeah, we men are generally seen as eternally unsatisfied. And then in fitting with the lies we talked about last week, we start today with Satan's sex education lie that control is key. So the lie goes like this. The gift of sex is from me, not God, and therefore I can use it to get what I want. I can use a lack of sex to show my disapproval of what you are doing. 
and I can use your failures as a viable reason to withhold sex and force you to change. Satan's sex education says that ladies can use this as a way to manipulate their man to get what they want. As God pronounced judgment on Eve for her part in that transgression that happened at the tree in the Garden of Eden, he says this in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This verse causes some serious confusion for people like me as a husband because we're thinking to ourselves, listen, a wife having the hots for me? Like, this would be a rock star thing, Tracy. Certainly not a curse. But this is where having a deeper knowledge of the languages of the Bible is helpful because the language this is actually written in says something very different. The most basic understanding of this verse is basically saying that the woman and the man are now going to have ongoing conflict. And this is a huge contrast. Think about it. They start out in a very ideal way. Their relationship is forever changed. They're going to now have a power struggle that had never been there before. So we read it like this. Your desire will be for your husband, but here's how we can best translate it. The NLT version puts it this way. You will desire to control your husband or your desire will be against your husband. The battle of the sexes has begun right here in the Garden of Eden. So the man who is lovingly caring and nurturing for his wife is now going to try to seek to rule her. And the wife would now begin to desire to wrestle control from her husband. Now, I don't want to paint a picture that Satan is only trying to deceive the ladies listening. No, Satan has a crafty lie for us guys to latch onto as well. Last week, I talked to husbands who are doing battle against sexual sin. And I want to encourage you, as I did last week, to confess those sins to your spouse. You see, Satan would love to convince you that a confession of that kind would be a death punch to your marriage. But God says otherwise. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And this is verse 5. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, God requests generosity from us for our spouse. And confession of our sins helps our spouse to know exactly where they can be more attentive to watching but also more attentive to giving. And the second lie that Satan is pushing is that because God asked my spouse to be generous, well, of course, that means I can be demanding. And that goes against everything that God is trying to say. Selfish demanding results in isolation, and that is exactly Satan's game. Now, as a husband, I wish I could control our sex life more. I wish I could turn up the heat in our marriage. But you know what? The funny thing is, is that's not within most of us men's capability to do. So what does it boil down to? Will I trust that God will supply what I need and what I want despite my ability to control it? Most women are more likely to react to things which are more about character. Do you live selflessly for your family? Will you give your life? And most of us guys are saying, of course I'm going to give my life for her, whatever it takes. But will you set down the cell phone? Or will you set down the games that you're playing to focus on her? Will you do the dishes or will you fold laundry? Is your relationship with God genuine enough that your kids and your wife see it? Do you teach them from the everyday challenges of life about the Bible? Do you play with them on their terms? For most guys, control in the bedroom can equal a source of frustration. You're probably not in your head right now. If you think about it, you don't need to change your wife's thought process. The answer is in loving her 
like Christ would love her and trusting God with the outcome, trusting him with the rest of it. Don't believe the lies that demanding sex or using sex as a tool to get what you want is just all part of the game. Read again what David read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The truth is that sex is a gift and is to be freely given and never taken. So don't believe the lies of Satan. It only gets worse. Take porn. Do you know why it is such an effective tool in Satan's hands? Because these women are portrayed as someone who's actually wanting sex with you. They're not emotionally burdened like your wife, and they're going to do anything you want. It's all Satan's lies. He adds to that lie that your wife, that she's unnecessarily emotional, that she isn't free for the taking. She's burdened and she's self-absorbed. And we play right into the lies. Men, those women that are in these images are emotional wrecks. Their life is full of victimization. They're not free. They're paid. Satan lies to us that physical release, imagining a relationship with someone in a photograph is better than the real thing. Women pay attention too, because God doesn't say that you're not your own to make you a slave to your husband's demands. That is also Satan's lie. So let me ask you this. How much do you think it would help your husband to overcome the lies of Satan by seeing the truth of God lived out in your generosity? It would be life-changing for him. Every biblical warning is not to be handled with legalism. And this is a big caution. You've got to have a passion realizing that what God has asked of you is for your marriage's protection. God designed sex so that it would be an influence in your life, but it would not be a control in your life. A marriage fresh with sexual intimacy is a man who's confident and strong, and she helped him to get that way. It's also a woman who is secure and fulfilled, and he helped her to get that way. And it's at this point in the broadcast, I want to shift the focus from spotlighting Satan's tricks Now that we know what they are, what do we do about them? Well, to start with, we've got to know God's word. We've got to know truth. We also need to know that rarely does these kind of sins take shape in your marriage by being outright visibly horrible in the beginning. You see, Satan comes to Eve in a very non-threatening way. The Genesis account calls the snake cunning. Think about that. This is where the truth is really our protection. In ignorance, we flirt with failure. But knowing the promptings of the Holy Spirit... That is more of our protection. Isolation does have a huge part in all of this because in private alone, we are more likely to sin. We're more likely to be susceptible to Satan's lies. To be naked and unashamed, we must be open with God and our spouse about what our true weakness is. And then we take up an ally in our spouse, in our Savior. Now, I've talked about porn, but for women, sometimes it's romance novels, which paints this picture, which isn't real. And the inability to discern what is real creates an end of disappointment. Because a wife expects that, that can create isolation when her husband doesn't deliver. Just like most women are turned on by a man who is noble as opposed to someone who's crooked and self-serving, as people, we need to see who God is and who Satan is not. You see, Satan's sex ed is all about making God no longer look generous in his design of marriage. Satan can convince you that God is withholding sex from you. And we repeat what Eve fell for right then and there. Sin is just around the corner. So open up God's word and get to know the God whose likeness you were created in. See what Jesus does for you and why. Because he values you. His gift is good. And the same is true of your spouse. God's gift to them is actually you. Okay, we get it, right? Satan sucks. God is good. 
Sex is God's design. So how do we beat this? Well, let's start right here. We're not powerless. We know the word of God. And if you don't read it and get to know it, and we're living out the word of God, we can deal with past and current sexual sins. We are not paralyzed within their grip. And in your marriage, confront temptation with this thing. It's called generosity. A healthy sex life will empower your spouse to proclaim God's goodness. Now, this is a little bit awkward to talk about, but think back now to the last time you had really good sex in your marriage. And I want you to reflect on what the next like 12 hours look like after that. Did you have a little brighter smile? Did you have a little better attitude? Were you able to support the needs of others around you with more enthusiasm? Well, now I want you to think about a time where you were going through a season of drought in your marriage. Were you frustrated? Were you more distant from who you needed most in your marriage? Were you downtrodden? Were you susceptible? Now I want to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3 with a little bit of augmentation to shed some light. It reads this way, but mark this, there will be terrible times in last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And in Satan's sex education, that would mean that masturbation would be just fine. People would be lovers of money. And in Satan's sex education, we're talking about prostitution. People would be boastful. People would be proud. People would be abusive and disobedient to their parents. People would be ungrateful and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. We're talking about someone who's selfish and demanding. We're talking in Satan's sex education about people who desire things like rape. But how it ends really leads us to some important insights. It says they would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So we defeat the lies by being lovers of God, not just the pleasure we can have in the gift of sex that he gave us as a married couple. You see, pleasure is the number one reason for having and talking about sex in the world. What if you talked about sex with your kids because you were proclaiming a generous God? Could you give them a counter argument to the lies that sex outside of marriage is better than within? This passage concludes by describing someone who has the form of godliness, but denies its power. And sadly, this can be many of us because we don't go carousing around looking for an affair. In fact, we look all right to our friends. We look like we're a decent person, but at home, our sex life tells the story of a deprioritized marriage. I don't think many of us think of it this way, but do you realize that you are in a spiritual war and your very marriage and generations of marriages behind you are on the line? It's time to get right with God and then to get right with your spouse. It's time to honor God, not to idolize his gift of sex. Monitor the health of your relationship with God and monitor the health of your spouse's relationship with God as well before you monitor the health of your sex life. Many of us just think, well, this is just where we're at right now. It's probably not going to change. We've gotten cold. We never take the time for each other, but we aren't in sin. So we're probably doing okay. But I have a question for both of you. Maybe you aren't in sin, but are you in strength? David and I have a habit of being physically intimate before either of us are going to be going on any kind of trip. If we're going to be apart from each other at all, we want to go into that with strength. And this is because there is power and protection in this intimate gift that God has given us. We're going to talk about three more points and then we're going to end here on Vows to Keep Radio. And point number one is this. We were designed differently. 
Men, put your wife's pleasures first before your own. Nothing will make it more routine than making it all about you. Men, if the sex in your marriage is routinely one-sided, this has got to be a red flag to you. You've got to stop and think big picture about her life first, not just the bedroom. God gave you a sex drive, men, to remind you to go woo your woman. She deserves your emotional investment before you try to unite yourself sexually. And for both men and women, especially as the volume of activities in life just cranks up, be as intentional about pursuing time for sex as you are anything else in your life. Make intimacy a priority. Don't let it fall by the wayside. And like everything that needs constant maintenance, when you neglect what God gave you, it shows that it doesn't matter to you anymore. Take the time to know what is most enjoyable for your spouse. What conveys love to them? It's probably different for everybody. And desire to be a gift to your spouse. Not long ago, we met with a couple where the wife was literally turned off by her husband's advances and he felt rejected and resentment was building. Satan's lies about porn were getting louder and louder. Now, if she's lucky, he's going to reject it. But if she's unlucky, he won't. And her rejection of him will only be further amplified. Women, don't deny your husband's pleasure because you're trying to manipulate them in any way, shape, or form. Years later, she gets her wish. He no longer wishes for her physically, and now she feels rejected. If you've been rejecting your spouse over and over, think about why you're doing that. Save saying no for extreme circumstances. And when you need to say no, make sure that he knows you're not rejecting him. That's right, Tracy. We are so different by design. We have to realize these differences are a blessing which keeps our marriage happy over the long haul. So be generous and never be demanding. Be a good steward of your own margins to be prepared to serve the Lord with your own body. Point number two before we close today. Love challenges us to be fit for each other's fulfillment. And we mean like physically fit because when you're not taking care of yourself physically, admit it, you don't feel as good. You don't have the energy. You're eating poorly, so you feel lethargic. It's true, Tracy. I work a ton of hours at a desk each week, and I love to eat. And I have this habit of eating even more when I'm under stress. So what does that mean? Well, this is all an equation for gaining weight, and quickly so. Unhealthy eating, bad exercising habits are really common. So I think it's important that we have real conversations in our marriages about the impact of gluttony and laziness. It affects our intimacy, and we need to be honest about that. We both were addicted to sugary foods and frequently used them as entertainment. We had dangerously positioned food in our lives to serve purposes that God never designed it to serve. And we didn't realize at the time, food had gotten in the way of our intimacy. Instead of turning toward each other in difficult times, sometimes we'd turn to food. So instead of communicating our needs, we would silently let issues fester and numb that with cookies and apple crisp and ice cream because they're a yummy distraction. Ultimately, as stress eaters, though, we're using food to fill voids only God has been meant to fill. So this turns out to be as much of a spiritual journey as a physical journey. But you know what? Most of us just aren't willing to see it this way. A lot of people, including us, have spent years believing that, quote unquote, feeling old was just part of the middle age experience. And it was only going to get worse as the years passed because you do feel exhausted. Your lower back aches. There's painful joints. And we just figured, you know what? This is just part of life and we got to accept it. But inevitably, every time that we exercise and eat healthy, guess what? We feel better. 
It's not immediate, but it gets cumulatively more noticeable as our faithfulness perseveres over time. Sometimes, however, when I'm not motivated for Tracy, I just accept this perspective of decline. I mean, I hate to admit this, but if I'm honest, sometimes I even lean into those excuses to be even more irresponsible with my eating and my exercise. Looking back, the powerful changes in our lives came because I decided that I needed to make a change. I had beat David over the head with, hey, we need to change so many times. And sometimes he would join in out of obligation, but then fall short. And then in one fell swoop, we would both tumble and reject good health for yet another season. In some of our best seasons, when David saw how disciplined I'd become, he saw my efforts were actually working. That made all the difference for him. He saw how creative that I was at swapping out unhealthy ingredients in our favorite meals and turning them into healthy ones. He saw how committed I had become to learning about the science behind all of it. And he trusted me to show him the way. I love it that we even went on walks together and still do. And often on those walks, we have great heart to heart conversations. We're never sorry that we put in the effort, but honestly, this takes serious accountability. The most interesting thing, however, is that a more vibrant love life was one of the many unexpected benefits that came along with being healthy. As we close out this second point, I want to encourage many of you to also consider this. Don't ignore medical issues that are going to impact your physical or your sex life. Dealing with these things shows your spouse that you care about them, that you want to not only look your best for them, but you're going to invest in the longevity of your relationship. And finally, you've got to make sure you address those stressors. Don't accept it as status quo because stress itself leads to less sex drive. If you're less desirous of your spouse, do a little research to pinpoint what's at the root of that and then put that thing before God. Ask him if your marriage or this thing is more important. One of them's got to go. And our last point in closing is this. Unforgiveness kills sex. It can destroy a marriage. Unforgiveness stores up in the soul and slowly poisons the one who carries it. I've witnessed what a bitter wife does to a relationship. And I'm not talking about you, Chase. Oh, good. (laughs) The problems with her husband, they were real. Her anger was in some ways understandable. This pattern had gone on for many years and now the love she had once felt had become a choking hardness. Reflecting back on his behavior, she was nursing her wounds with words that assured her that her marriage was a mistake. In every marriage, whether it's pornography or a sexual sin or not, a spouse does something that hurts the other. And bitterness can come when you hold on to that hurt and you refuse to forgive the other person. Things that often have nothing to do with the sexual aspects of your marriage, but have everything to do with them at the same time. Each offense, no matter what it is, it takes up residence in your heart if you don't forgive. And at some point, there's no more room left for that intimacy that you long for. And you may think to yourself, listen, my spouse doesn't deserve my forgiveness. I'm going to wait until they are straightened out, till they got their stuff right. But have you forgotten about the mercy that Jesus had for you? I wonder how the sexual health of our marriages would be healed if Christian husbands and wives learned to love mercy as much as they love justice total game changer. So men, you gain marks for being a spiritual leader. If you can focus here before you focus on how you might be measuring the failures of your sex life. So here's steps that you can take to begin healing for bitterness. Number one, confess your bitterness is a sin. Number two, ask for God's strength to forgive your spouse. 
and diligently seek that forgiveness. Number three, worry about changing yourself and not your spouse. God is the giver of a fulfilling sex life. Be creative, be energetic, be intentional. So don't believe Satan's sex education. Instead, tell the world the truth about God's love in marriage. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.